Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. You guys can be seated. Can we thank the Lord for His presence this morning? Man, that's so good. I love that truth. And I mean, even as, as much as we meet and as much as we gather and as long as we've been doing this, whether you've been in church for this is your first time ever or whether you've been doing it since, uh, as long as you can remember, that's just incredible, that truth and the idea that the Lord, when we gather in his name, that he gathers in our midst. So I just, man, I'm so thankful for the Lord being here with us this morning. And so, um, again, thank y'all for being here this morning as well. Uh, I mentioned up front when we were doing announcements and welcome about uh, a few things that, that are happening coming up. And uh, we are wrapping up this series on why we gather. It's been really good. And, and so as we, as we finish this out this summer and talking about the, the gathering that is Sunday morning and we look ahead to the fall, uh, I've got some dates up here for you. And I thought that this would be the easiest way to make it clear and concise to you because there's a lot of things that are coming down the pipe. And if you aren't subscribed to our news, newsletter, you should subscribe to it. If you go to vessel.church, uh, there's a way to sign up for the newsletter there. Um, if you have a calendar on your phone, you can put these dates in. Uh, but we want to be as clear as uh, we can about what's coming on, coming up, and over communicate. So forgive me for taking time this morning for that. But here's what we've got. Um, this, this Sunday is the 25th, August 25th, and we are ending August and beginning like official fall next week. That's crazy to think about, right? I mean, that's hard to believe. So next Sunday is Labor Day. Um, and so uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about vision and direction next Sunday. Uh, as you guys know, as a lot of you know, we've been in a very trend transitional uh, period of our church uh, as we've, we've birthed and we've planted and as we've become this new entity. And so uh, the last, it's hard to believe that that's only been six or seven months and everything that the Lord's done during that time. But next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about kind of the vision and direction, what we feel like as we've prayed through, um, as we've got our bearings, got our feet and kind of set direction and, and moving towards that, what that's going to look like next Sunday. So I encourage you to be here next Sunday for that. And then on September 8th, uh, one of those things that we are going to talk about next Sunday is small groups. And I mentioned this last week, but when we met with the leaders of our church at the very end of May before summer started, which seemed like forever ago, um, but at the same time wasn't that long ago, we, we talked about what are the main things and what do we feel uh, that as a church were the main things that we God's calling us to do. And so we broke up into groups and we discussed and we prayed through that. And every group, when we shared and we came back together uh, and, and collaborated together, the number one thing on every group was discipleship. And so as, as we've talked about that and what does discipleship look like? How are we uh, disciple makers? How are we, how are we making disciples of one another? Um, as Iron Sharpens Iron, we, we have you know, identified our groups and our small groups ministries, how that happens. And so we're going to be doing a big push the next two weeks to encourage people to get into a small group. If you go to that website, vessel.church backslash groups, you can find that information there. Um, and what we're going to be doing this, this fall is we're going to be doing this study. Um, it's an it's 11-week study in the book of John. And this was written, this is a, a study that was written by Tom Fulmer, who's a really good friend of mine. He's a community pastor at ACF Northwest. And if you did the Roman study that he wrote last year, 
Um, it was, he did a phenomenal job. And it, it's, so it's 11 weeks. There's five days a week. So it's weekly reading, but it's really laid back. Like you'll see, um, let me, let me flip to a page here. It's, it's very, it's, it's much more like a journal. The reading is, is, is focused on scripture and the book of John, and it's much more focused on journaling. So uh, this is what we're going to be doing this fall. We're going to be also teaching through John on Sunday mornings, beginning that same Sunday, September 8th. And so, and Lindsay, if you want to go back to those dates, so that, that we're going to start a new series on September 8th, and for 11 weeks, it's essentially September 8th through uh, Thanksgiving, we are going to, uh, we're going to be teaching through John. Our small groups are, are going to be going through John. So please, please, I encourage you to get involved in that. The next date we have is September 15th. Uh, September 15th is a national holiday, I guess. Like if you Google it, it pops up as a national holiday. And it's Back to Church Sunday. And the spirit and idea is it is a Sunday that uh, as Christ followers, as a part of the church, that we are to go out, that we are to invite a neighbor, to invite a friend, to invite a coworker, and bring them to church that Sunday. And not just say, hey, you should come to my church sometime, but make an intentional ask to say, I want you to be there. I want to invite you. Uh, and to wait for them, to meet them at the door, to be with them in church, to uh, maybe after church say, hey, can we take y'all out to lunch? And to be really intentional about truly hosting someone in church. And so September 15th is that Sunday. In the next two Sundays, we're going to be talking about that. And we've got some prayer cards that we're making up. And so I want you to be intentionally thinking and praying about who that is that you want to invite to church. And that may be someone that's new and they're looking for a church. You say, hey, come and, and visit us at the vessel. Or that may be someone that doesn't know Jesus uh, and then not a Christ follower. And you say, hey, come. We've got, you know, I'd love for you to come and visit with us. That may mean or be someone that's, that's walked away from church. That may be a stranger. You may go to the same coffee shop every, every you know, Monday morning, and that may be that barista that you invite to church, uh, which is probably not because you probably go to Lamp Post and all of their baristas come here. Anyways, so don't invite them. <laughs> uh, but the, the point being is, is who is that person for you to prayerfully and intentionally invite to church that Sunday? And I'll tell you who it is for Shay and I. We've got a couple neighbors in our cul-de-sac. Uh, one are the Shells, and they're an incredible family, and we love them, and we've, we've been next to them for six years, and uh, so we're going to invite them. And then our house right next door sold, um, and a brand-new family moved in. Uh, at the start of school. And it's funny just how good God is. And it's this family, it's this couple, and they're from Turkey. They're both, uh, they're from Istanbul, Turkey. And they have a daughter named Ella, and they have a son named Bora. And his, um, his, Bora doesn't even speak English. He only speaks Turkish. They speak Turkish in their home, which you may think, oh, that's cool. But that's really cool for us because, for one, my brother works for the State Department and lives in, in Ankara, Turkey, and lived in Istanbul before that. And his bride, my, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, is she is um, Turkish, and she was born in Istanbul, and they have a daughter named Ella. I mean, it's like, you're Turkish, you have a daughter named Ella, so we have all these connections, so it's been really sweet, and we hung out in the cul-de-sac with them this weekend. So those are the people that Shay and I are inviting, and we're going to be really intentional and say, hey, we would love for y'all to come. Let's go out, or let's come over after church to our house, and, and we'll, you know, we all live in the cul-de-sac. We'll, we'll do a potluck. So September 15th, be praying and thinking about who that is that you want to invite to church. The last date is September 21st. Right, Lindsay? 
And it's a Saturday. Yes. Okay. So we are doing rad resource. If you are new to the vessel or you have forgotten somehow, one of the main things that we do is our rad ministry, which is a special needs ministry. It stands for respite, all abilities, and discipleship. And so on Saturday, September 21st, we are having our second ever rad resource fair. And listen to me, I'm asking, for you, I'm asking for you to make time to participate in that. It's an incredible ministry that loves the special needs community. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel, to tell families how their child and their loved ones with special needs is beautifully, wonderfully made, created in God's own image with kingdom purpose and kingdom value. And so it's going to be at City View Bible Church, and they are partnering with us, which is super exciting. And we've opened it up to 50 families. And so it's a micro-conference resource fair for families that have children with special needs. And so the entire family comes. The children, we have rad uh, uh, games and fun, and we'll do lessons for the kiddos, and we'll have one-on-one buddies. So Scott Marshall, I don't know what you're doing, but you have to be there. You don't have an option. Um, But uh, it's got, got that. And then for the families, we have a keynote speaker that's coming in. We're providing lunch. We have breakout sessions. And then we have a resource portion. And our prayer and heart is that every family that comes will walk away with one thing, that they will walk out of there on September 21st saying, I am walking away with this, whether that's a new relationship, whether that's hearing the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether that's, I mean, silly things that, that you would think, oh yeah, that's interesting. But for these families is really important. Like we did it when we did in the past, there's a family that had been praying or not, they hadn't been praying, but they've been looking for a swim lessons for their child uh, that is nonverbal autism. And we had a, a swim instructor that was there that does swim lessons specifically for children with special needs. She said, this is incredible. We've been looking for this and here we are, we have this resource. And so whatever it is, we want every family to walk away with something. And I want, and this is, this is our ministry and I want you to participate in it. If that is set up crew, tear down crew, if that is greeting, if that is being a, a rock star and being a one-on-one buddy, um, if that is whatever it may be. So you can find out more information. We have a, we have a website, an official RAD website, but don't go to it yet because it's, it's, it's like it's brand new. It's like born yesterday. So it doesn't have a lot of information. But email shay at vessel.church for more info. You're going to see us push this a lot on social media and on our newsletter, and we'll see the website. So uh, please mark that in your calendar. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to push those things up front, and I think that's all we have. Um, and, and like I said, we, we've been in this series about why we gather and talking about the gathering that is Sunday mornings and why we come together and what happens in this place and what the purpose of our gathering is. Why can't you just go and listen to someone who's a better preacher than me on your computer and listen? I don't know if there's better worship than this. That's pretty incredible. But you can listen to whatever type of worship music you want in the comfort of your own home with your slippers and your PJs and your cup of coffee and your lucky charms. I don't know what you eat for breakfast. That's what I eat. So we've been talking through this. And as we entered into this series, we start praying through and looking a lot of what are those things what is the reason why we gather? And, and, and really, we, we went into this knowing that we had the six-week series planned, and we knew five weeks 
we have five things that we really felt like God wanted to say and, and is really specific about why we gather. And the sixth week, which is this Sunday, we're like, we don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll see. God will do something. And so that, you know, that might be nerve wracking, but uh, we were just faithful in that. And so the first week we talked about biblical precedent. And we looked, we, th- we thought we should start with the truth of, the, the truth of Scripture and the, the foundation of that, that uh, we looked at Second Chronicles and from when Samuel or Solomon set up the tabernacle to gathering of that all the way to the church and the birth of the Christian church in Acts and kind of tied and looked at there's biblical precedent that our, in our gathering right here, right now, this isn't something new. This isn't something uh, that we just thought up, that this is something that, that goes back biblically for thousands and thousands of years. The second week, we talked about the idea of power and numbers. And we looked at the promise of Jesus Christ in Matthew 18 says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. I pray that prayer every single Sunday. We talked about what it looks like that when we agree in prayer with one another and the, the word being symphoneo. It's the same word as it being a symphony or a harmony of agreement for God's purpose and kingdom. And how in that, there's power in that, is that we gather and we agree with one another and we gather in his name that said that there's power in that. Third week, we talked about worship. We looked at Psalm 100 and, and our command and our call that we are to be worshipers, what we just did which is just how we love on God. It is just showing our affection, showing our love, showing our praise on our heavenly Father. And how when we gather and we, we sing of one accord, how that, that ministers to God. And then Joe taught uh, on, uh, on communion and the act of communion, that when we gather, we gather for communion. And we, with the holy act of remembrance that that is, that when Jesus Christ met with his disciples, on the eve of his uh, crucifixion, that he broke bread and he poured out the cup. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And how that is a, that's a, that's a holy act that we participate in to remember the Lord. And then last week we had uh, Stuart Mary Lou Sorensen's, uh, our missionary family that lives in Nepal, and they were here. And we talked about this idea of shared calling while God has a call and a purpose on every one of our lives, which is important and significant, that together we have shared calling. And how do we participate in calling together? And how they're just that, again, that idea of numbers and us being called to the same thing. And so those are, we, as I thought and prayed about this last Sunday and how we wrap this up, I was like, Lord, how do we finish this? This idea of these are things that we do these are things that are important. These are why we gather. But really, the idea in this morning I want us to look at is what is the result? So when we do those things, when we agree in power, when we worship, when we have shared calling, when we break bread and, and take communion together, when we look at Scripture and we open His Word, what is the result? What is the fruit from that? And so uh, God led, led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm going to read this verse real quick, and then I'm going to pray. And it says this. It says, And we all, we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that is the fruit of what happens, is that it's transformational, that we are transformed into his image. Let me pray, and we'll we'll jump in. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning, Jesus. God, I thank you for clarity as we wrap up this series. 
God, I thank you for what we've learned, what you showed us, what we've got to participate together with. God, I pray, Jesus, that it's given us a new vigor and a new eagerness to gather in your name. God, and I, I thank you and praise you for the transformation process that happens. God, I, I, I just humbly ask that you would do a transformative work in our lives and in this church. God, not for our own sake, but for the sake of your purpose in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, more importantly, would you speak through your word? Would you soften hearts? Would you let us hear what we need to hear? God, would the words go out with purpose and value and do what you want them to do? Every one of us is in a different place, Jesus. Every one of us is struggling with different things. Every one of us um, has different insecurities and fears and, and places that we're at in our lives right now. But God, you know, and I just pray that during this time, Jesus, that you would... Use your word as a double-edged sword, God, to pierce our hearts for you. We praise you and we thank you for this. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, I would love for you to turn, uh, to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, you can put it on your phone if you brought your word of, of God with you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our guest services team can pass those out. We have a few copies of Scripture over here. And I would love for you to read along. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to earmark or write down, the other place we're really going to be is Exodus 34. Um, and so as you're, as you're maybe marking that or turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll give you a little bit of context, uh, as I often do. Is this is, again, this is an epistle, which means that this is a letter that Paul ha has written to the church in Corinth. And this is 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's second letter that he's written to this church in Corinth. And if you remember, if you were here last week, we read out of 1 Corinthians. And, and, one thing I love about Corinthians, uh, First and Second Corinthians, selfishly, is it makes me feel better about our church. I read all the stuff that they're going through and all their struggles, and Paul's correcting them. I'm thinking, boy, I think we have issues. This church in Corinth has major problems and issues. And so it, it always makes me feel better. But the, the idea that Paul is not just writing to the church in Corinth, that he's writing to the church for all time around the world. And so... Um, uh, he, he's, he's writing them and writing about encouragement, and there's some struggling with some things, and he's pointing them towards transformation. So I'm going to give you a foundation. What we're going to talk about this morning is we're talking about three things, and the idea is they're going to build upon one another, just as Paul builds on this here in this letter. He's going to talk first and foremost about them being unveiled before the Lord. And if that sounds crazy or foreign to you, that's okay. I'll explain that, and we'll look at Exodus. He says that we're unveiled before the Lord. He builds this foundation. Then on top of that, he puts that with that unveiling and being able to be unveiled before the Lord, there's, tr there's freedom. And where their freedom of the Lord is, there's transformation. And so he's trying to point them in this direction. And, and remember that in, in the epistle and in 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of we and you as in collective language. Paul is not writing a letter to one person. It's not me sending a text to Corey Craig and encouraging Corey. It, it's, it's, it's collective. He's writing a letter to the entire church in Corinth and the, effectively the entire church around the world for all time. And so there is this we and this, this, this collective us and our, and it's not just about one person. And so in verse 12, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 12 begins this. And Paul writes, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. 
that their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, so Paul talks, and he begins talking about this idea of them being unveiled, and he references the Moses. He says that we are not like Moses. He's, he's talking about the law of Moses, which you have to remember in this time, the Christians, that was their Bible. That's what they've known for generations as the Jews. And he says, we're not like Moses. It would have to put a veil over his face because the Israelites to prevent them from seeing uh, the end of what was passing, but their minds were made dull. For this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses read, a veil covers their hearts. But when, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so I, this, this idea and concept comes from Exodus chapter 34. And, and I want you to know that um, God, is, God is telling them that they, they can come before the Lord in his glory. And he's telling them that if we turn towards Christ, that the veil can be removed and we can stand in freedom before Jesus Christ. And you may think, how does that apply to me? I'm not Jewish. I have no background in that. I don't even know what he's talking about. Veiled, unveiled. That, that means nothing to me. My heart, my mind, what is veiled. But the truth is, is that still exists in the church today. And I would argue that it exists significantly in Christian culture. And whether you would classify yourself as someone that sits in Christian culture or not, we live in a society and in a place and a location of this earth and a time in history where Christian culture is alive and active. And if we're not careful, it comes with a veil. And so as, as we look at this and we look at what that means to pull the veil back, I want you to think about your own heart or your own mind or your own experiences in your life or for us as a church where we've been veiled before the Lord. And so Exodus chapter 34, and if you've read the story of Exodus, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it, it reads like a blockbuster, dramatic, epic movie and tale. I'm sure they've made a movie into it, but not one that I think it has done it justice. But um, so as you, as you know, God has freed, if you've ever heard the story, God has freed his people from uh, Egypt and from Pharaoh. They've been enslaved by Pharaoh and God has sent plagues. He sent 10 plagues and freed his people from Pharaoh. Uh, God has led them. And he said, the scripture says that he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It is no mistaken that God is leading his people. He leads him to the Red Sea. Moses puts his staff in the water and God parched the Red Sea. And God's people walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. And then, then the water consumes the Egyptian army. God leads them into the desert for 40 years. He provides for them manna. Every day he provides for them manna and quail. Uh, water from a stone. God does these miraculous things. And he leads them to Mount Sinai. 
He leads him at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God's presence rests on the top of Mount Sinai. And, and, and God calls Moses up, and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments uh, for God's people. And so in, in Exodus chapter 34, uh, this is uh, as, as Moses comes down after receiving and being in the presence of the Lord. And he's coming down off this mountain. And Exodus 34 says this. It says, and remember, this is the idea of being veiled and unveiled. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. So here's Moses. He comes down carrying these two stone tablets. And, and as you read further in Exodus, he goes back up and receives commandments from the Lord and what God is calling his people to do. And he comes down holding his, tab- his tablets, and the, and the people are afraid of him because he is glowing. His face is radiant, and they run, and he calls them back to him. Um, and, and he spoke to them. After all the Israelites came near, he gave them all the commandments, the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Verse 33, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. So he, he, he puts a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, he removed the, the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what had been commanded, and they saw that his face was radiant, glowing. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak again with the Lord. So as Moses comes off this mountain, he is literally glowing. I mean, God has lit him up, and they're afraid of him. He shares what God has given him, and he has to cover his face out of fear. And then he goes back to be with the Lord to the top of Mount Sinai. He takes the veil off again. And this is the context. I know that may still sound weird, but, but this, is, this is a theme and a truth that goes throughout Scripture until this very day, until August 25th, 2019, this, this still rings true. And, and you know this. If you've been to Sunday school or if you haven't been in church much, you still know this to be true. In the beginning, uh, Genesis, you have to get three verses in before you see this symbolism. It says that the, the world was void and formless, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And the Lord spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. The first thing that God did was create light and darkness. You see, light is the, is, is signifies the presence of God. And, and so when Moses comes down off this mountain, the Israelites and God's people have, have two contexts of understanding radiance. It's from the sun and it's from fire. And that's it. They didn't have glow sticks. They didn't have cell phones or iPads. They didn't have lights that, that come on. The only idea and concepts of radiance was fire and sun. And in the beginning of time, the first word the Lord spoke was, let there be light. It's a, it's a symbol and evidence of God's presence. And so they recognized this. The only time they've ever seen anything glow was fire and sun. And then here comes Moses off the Mount Sinai, and there he's glowing. That's the only th- way they can describe it because Moses has been in the presence of the Lord. And it says that, that the glowing would fade, but then he would go back up and he'd be in the presence of God. He would come back in and, and he would be radiant again. 
And so then the sun and the other example is fire. And not many uh, verse or chapters later, at the beginning of Exodus, when God calls Moses to free his people, he speaks through him through a burning what? Bush. That's right. And the scripture says that the bush was on fire but not consumed. The presence of God is in that bush. And if, you're, if you've ever read that scripture, that, that God tells him to take off his shoes as he comes into this holy place. That he sees God and recognizes the presence of God in fire. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's, it, when God calls Isaiah, and I'll, I'll flip there and, and, and read that for you. You don't have to flip there. But Isaiah, when God calls Isaiah, Isaiah has this dream and this vision that he's in the throne room and he's struck with fear because he's in the presence of God and he knows he doesn't belong there. He knows as someone who's impure and imperfect and full of sin that he can't be with the, in the presence of the Lord or he will be destroyed he has this vision of the throne and then there's this seraphim, this heavenly beast that comes down and it takes a piece of coal, a glowing, radiant piece of coal. And he flies down with the tongues and he touches the lips of Isaiah. And I, instead of describing to you, I'll just read it. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go forth for us? And he said, here I am, send me. And God calls Isaiah and he, he touches his lips with this radiant coal and he forgives him and frees him of his sin. And he calls Isaiah. And that's incredible if you think about this idea of being radiant, that God uses a burning bush to call Moses to free his people. God uses the, the, this image for Isaiah to call Isaiah to be his prophet, touches his lips. And so when Moses is going up to Mount Sinai and coming down, it's God calling his people out. He's giving them commandments and he's calling them out. And so we often don't understand biblically what this looks like. But it is real in our lives because we often come before the Lord veiled, feeling like the Israelites. I can't be in his presence. I've got to get everything straight in my life. I've got everything figured out. I'm not worthy. And you're not. But Jesus made a way that we can stand before the Lord unveiled. So when we gather, I want you to know when the presence of the Lord is in this room, as his word promises us that it is, that we stand just as Moses, just as Isaiah, before the Lord in his glory and radiance. And our faces shall shine like the noonday sun, Isaiah 58, 56. But that's what he says about us. It's just true. I want you to realize that truth that there's no shame, that we don't have to cover anything up, that when we step before the presence of the Lord, we, are, we bear ourselves free, not afraid, not afraid of being consumed by his glory and his goodness, but it's been taken what is impure and being made pure before him. And so that's the first thing is that we stand unveiled before the Lord when we gather and so Paul, again, builds on this concept. And, and, and not only do we stand unveiled, but we stand in freedom. The next verse in verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this is a powerful reality for Christ followers. 
It's this idea that we have and we stand in freedom. And this is how transformation happens. We stand unveiled with everything we are, with all the junk, all the sin, all the baggage, all the stuff in our lives, all our insecurities, all our fears, everything. We stand before him unveiled. And there's freedom there. There's freedom for the Lord and the Spirit to do a work in our lives. And this is powerful and important that we understand this. And what it is, is it's, it's, it's freedom from sin. And I think this idea of freedom from sin is often misunderstood. It does not mean that you will not sin. It doesn't mean that I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I've been born again. Now I won't sin. Well, how long did that last? If you've accepted Christ, you know that lasted about 24 hours before you sinned again. So freedom from sin doesn't mean, oh, I don't have sin in my life anymore. I'm perfect. No, you're not. You're so broken and in need of a Savior every moment, every second, every breath of your life, you need Jesus and his salvation. But, but standing and having freedom from sin, another caveat, it also doesn't mean freedom to sin. So don't confuse that either. Oh, I'm saved. I now have the freedom to sin. Because, I, you know, I'm not free from sin. Now I have the freedom to sin. But it's in between. What it means is that the wages of sin is death. But our freedom from sin means that we are free from that guilt and that shame and paying that wage. It means that we stand and we complete, in freedom of sin that completely and totally forgiven for everything we've done, everything we will do. And we stand in that freedom. It means that we have been washed completely and totally clean. It, it doesn't mean that God's like, all right, it's fine. Don't mess up again. He, he looks at it and says, you are, you are blameless. You are guiltless. You are as white as snow because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so that, that's powerful that we stand in that freedom from sin. And, and, and just like the church in Corinth, I think the church in Round Rock and the Christian culture and where we mistake this is that what we think is our job as a Christian is to avoid sin, that we are to navigate through this life and we are to avoid sinful situations and try to do our best not to sin. And we've got to try hard and we've got to live this life that we don't cuss and we don't drink, at least not too much, and we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't do all these things and that we think that that's the assignment that Jesus gave us. He says, I came so you can have life, I have it abundantly. Not so you can tiptoe through life, not try not to step on a landmine. And we totally miss the point is that Jesus is not saying try harder. Paul is not telling the church in Corinth, try harder. He's saying, no, you're free from sin. He said, You're, you, you stand in freedom before the Lord, unavailed to be transformed. It's like, it's, and, and, and this is where they're getting it wrong, where they're getting so stuck on the law of Moses. And where I think Christian culture a lot of times gets it wrong is that we understand the law, we understand the Ten Commandments, we know what is right, we know what is wrong, we have conviction in our heart. The Spirit convicts us of our sins. But we focus so much on that sin, and what can I do to avoid that sin? Nothing. You can't avoid it. You are a broken, sinful person. That's why Jesus poured his blood out for you. And it's like, I, you know, we have, Shay and I have three kids. And, and as they grow up, they all your children and Micah and Reed, your future child, will go through a doctor phase. Well, they will get a little doctor kit. Somebody will give them. It's super cute. It's got like a stethoscope and it's got one of those things you look through. And it's got a thermometer. And you will play doctor with your child. And you say, oh, mommy or oh, daddy, you're sick. And they will take the thermometer and they'll stick it in your mouth. And they'll say, oh, now you're better. 
Well, that's dumb. A thermometer does not make you better. But that's how kids think. They think, I know what a doctor is. I have this doctor kid. I put this stethoscope on you and I put a thermometer in your mouth and you're healed. No, 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 no. A thermometer tells you you're sick. The idea of sticking a thermometer in your mouth as you're, as you're sick and you've got 103 fever thinking, boy, I hope this thermometer works and brings my temperature down. It doesn't. You will die. And we get caught up in that same idea as a Christ follower is that we've got this sin in our life and we try to avoid it. No, you need healing. You need to be healed. You need that. You, you, you're sick. You need medicine. And so, you know, I don't suggest, you know, telling your kid, well, actually, that doesn't heal you. Just go along with their kid. But the idea is, is still there is that, that you will die. You are going to die if you just stick a thermometer in your mouth. And so a lot of times in Christian culture, we try to live this life of trying to live a sinless life. No, we need Jesus. Every day, every moment, unveiled, freedom for him to do what he wants to do in our life. And that's what it looks like to stand free, to say, Lord, I am yours I am broken, I am sinful, and I need you in my life. And God, do with it what you will. And you've got to give that fully and completely to the Lord. Okay, if you are a piece of clay and you hand it to the potter and you keep your hands on it, he can't form it and make it into what it needs to be. He can't spin that wheel and take out the impurities as long as you've got your, your white knuckle and your lump of clay. You've got to fully and completely give it to him. So there's freedom for the Spirit of the Lord to do what only the Spirit of the Lord can do. We sing that song, God, we're here for you. Come and do what you do. It's like we don't even understand enough to write lyrics beyond that. Like, we don't know what you do, Lord, but just do it. Just do what you do. But man, that's a powerful truth. And the last thing that he builds on is this idea of not only are we to stand unveiled and we're to stand in freedom, but we stand transformed. And that's where the heart of this is. And that is why we gather on Sunday morning so that God can transform us as a body together. Every one of us being transformed in freedom and in goodness of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that every one of you is a part of that body. And I selfishly and desperately need you to transform. Think about someone that walks into the YMCA to work out and, and they, they're a grown man with baby legs, right? You can't skip leg day. Like they, they couldn't even walk, right? If their legs never grew, they need to be transformed, be made new. And so uh, this is a process and that's what I love. In this scripture, uh, in verse 18, it says that, and we all, that's all of us, are being transformed. Process, it says, we all who are unveiled, Faces contemplate the God's glory. We stand in freedom in His glory, unveiled that we are all being transformed, and it is a process. And it, the Scripture said that it's from one glory, this ever increasing glory. Your your version may say it's from one glory to another, from one glory to another. God is transforming you, and knowing it is not enough. You have to allow it. Knowing transformation is what the Lord desires in your life to make you something new and not allowing him to do it is like a, it's like a caterpillar that will never build the cocoon that knows I should be a butterfly. I should do this, but, but, but never will enter into that cocoon so that the Lord can transform it. And that's what this is on Sunday morning. We gather, and this is an incubator of transformation, that there's freedom in this room, that we stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
The, the, the God who met Moses on, on Mount Sinai, the God who was in the burning bush, the God who, who spoke to Isaiah through a vision, that that is the Lord, the one that poured his blood out on the cross for us, that we stand before him to be transformed. And this is a process. And so the question you may ask is, being transformed into what? And scripture's not always clear, but good news, here it is. Being transformed into his image. That is what he is transforming you into. Not a better version of Missy or a better version of Sean, but he is transforming you into his image. I could put a, I could put a picture of someone up here and it, it would be an image of that person. It's not someone that's a lookalike. It's not someone that kind of, you know, uh, last year for Halloween, I think it, Halloween was on uh, Sunday maybe, and we had youth that night, and so the students dress up, and so Logan Parker thought it'd be real funny to dress up as Jake. And so what he did is he wore, all he did, no, don't give him credit, all he did was put on a backpack and put a toothpick in his mouth, because I often have a backpack, I often have a toothpick in my mouth. I'm like, that is a cheap, easy costume. He's like, look, I'm Jake. But no one looked at Logan and says, oh, that's Jake. No, he's trying to be like Jake. He's trying to emu emulate or imitate Jake. But what God is, he's transforming us into his very image. It's the same words as when, when Jesus was asked about taxes in Luke chapter 20. That they say, should we tax? And he says, look at the, the denarius. Pull out the coin. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That is his image on that coin. And again, we often, that idea of trying to emulate, we try to emulate Jesus, try to act like Jesus, or try to do that. And, and, and God, what God wants to do is transform us into his image. And emulation is not enough. So one of my guilty pleasures that Shay uh, does not love is I love video games. And I, and I don't, you know, there's not too many things I feel super nerdy about, but I love video games. I was raised on video games. And so not only do I love video games current, I love old school video games. That is what I love. And Shay makes fun of me. I'll watch YouTube videos about all these old games. I know it's super nerdy. But what they do is, I don't know if you've seen in the past few years, they've come out with these, uh, these miniature consoles. So they have an SNES, or a Super Nintendo and a Nintendo. They're mini consoles that are pre-packaged with Nintendo and Super Nintendo games, right? But the game isn't on there. And so like people that are really into like old school video games, they fuss because it's, it's what they call an emulator. That what it is, is it emulates the original games. And people that are true, like I'm not, like I just play them for fun. People that are true video gamers, they, they scoff at that. Like it's not the real thing. It plays different. It feels different. The frame rate is different. I'm like, I don't know. But they fuss because it's an emulation. It's not the real deal. It's not the real thing. It's trying to be something that is different than it. And so recently I got, I, I got this uh, console that will play my old Super Nintendo games. And that is my favorite console. If you're ever throwing out Super Nintendo games, please come and see me. I will buy them from you. Uh, but, but it'll play the actual cartridge, which is great. I put it in there and you can play the old game and it's the real deal that you can play it on. Yeah, you got to blow it out. That's the only problem. I got some games, I'm like, this thing doesn't work. So... But the idea of emulating is not enough. God has not given us assignment to just emulate and pretend and be like Jesus. It's in freedom to transform us into him. And so I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to close and, and do one more song. But I want us to close with this idea and this truth that the reason that we gather, the result, the fruit, what comes for that is transformation. And if you are wanting 
or expecting or hoping for anything less than that, anything short of complete and total transformation in your life, it's not enough. And there's so much more for you. So there's a few things that I want to give you today as we walk away, a few application points. And the first is this. Is this is something you can do today is ask yourself, what is the next glory? If we are all transformed, if we are all being transformed from one glory to the, another, to the next, that is a process. So ask yourself, what is the next thing? What is the next glory? What's the next thing that Jesus can change in your life? It can be simple. It's that, Jesus, I've got a skeptical and closed heart. And to pray for God to transform that, to soften the soil of your heart. If that next glory is to, to forgive someone, I've held on to bitterness and unforgiveness for someone I've loved for so long, to ask God, to transform that glory. Just find one thing. Because God is good, he wants you to transform. He wants to do that in your life. And so if you're struggling today, just find one thing in your life that you can say, here, Lord, I will give you this to transform. And let him take that next glory. The second is this, is reject culture. Reject the Christian culture. And I'm not, I'm not trying to bash that, and, but, but don't feed the lies that think I've got to act, look, feel a certain way. And I've got to strive for a sinless life that people say, oh yeah, he's a good Christian boy. It's to reject that and realize you need Jesus. And the last is this. It's become before him unveiled. There's parts of your life that you've got veiled. Whether it's sin or it's shame or, or it's, it's, it's a sickness or it's depression or it's brokenness. And you've got to pull that veil off and you've got to stand in his glory, everything, just as you are, and come before him unveiled. And I'll close with this scripture and we'll sing this song. And I cheated a little bit. I went ahead to chapter four, 2 Corinthians chapter four. And it's not really cheating because Paul didn't write chapter breaks when he wrote the letter. So this is the King James Version. This was so good as I was finishing up preparing for this. I just was reading through scripture, and God led me to this. It's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And this is so good. And this is what God is transforming us into. As we gather, we're being transformed in this. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthly vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And that is what God is calling us to do. And that is who he's calling us to transform into. Let's worship. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.